He knows what you have need of before you even ask. But he said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And your Bible says that he is a, an ever-present help in the time of need. Father, we exalt you today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for every person in this room, those watching online. We just give you praise. We give you thanks. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Before you're seated, give somebody a high five or a fist bump and tell them you are in the right place. You are in the right place today. It's good to have Mike and Pamela Patton with us today. They are, they are here more than they were when they were full-time in Honduras. They're still full-time in Honduras. They're just here more than they were. When do you go back? January. This is December. This is December the what? 11th. So they go back in January. That's soon. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good that you are here. We live in a troubled world. I thought I'd get at least one amen right there. We live in a troubled world. There's chaos all around. And the scripture of the Lord has given me today it's been bumping around in my spirit for a month or two and I felt like this is the time and as with the Bible as with scripture it is all profitable for doctrine for instruction for encouragement and the scripture we're going to look at today was apropos when it was written because it it was relevant, it was an objective lesson or an object lesson to the people of Israel for the uh, sin they were living in. They had, many had turned their faces away from God, their hearts away from God and began to worship Baal. It was a time not too long after Elijah had called fire from heaven and 400 false prophets of Baal were killed. But it was a time when there was chaos. But the prophet of God, Elisha, showed up with a word and with a miracle. As a matter of fact, he had twice as many miracles as who? Elijah. He did twice as many. And the scripture today talks a little bit about that miracle that took place. And the question is, is there an antidote to this chaos, to this trouble, to this mess? Anybody notice that there's a mess in the world? Anybody sensitive to the chaos that's everywhere? Is there an answer? Is there an antidote? Is there any hope? 
Can there be any peace? Can there be any resolve? By definition, an antidote is a remedy, a remedy, not a remedy, but a remedy to counteract the effects of poison. Everybody say poison. I don't know if you've ever been poisoned. I had food poisoning a couple times. The worst case of food poisoning was I was coming out of Siberia. We had planted a church in the Siberian region, of the former Soviet Union, in a place called Omsk. We actually planted about three churches in that region. And we were there, and it was cold. It was April, but it was snowing when we went in. There was about three or four feet of snow on the ground, and it was snowing when we left. Communication was difficult. It was the days before cell phones. Communist walls had just gone down, and Christians were rushing in to plant churches. We planted churches. We did crusades. When we opened the doors in the evening, people were standing outside on the streets, and they rushed in like they were going to some rock and roll concert in this country today. They rushed in and they filled the altars and filled the chairs and stood around the walls, standing room only. And they would stand for hours outside to get in, waiting to get in. And then when we preached, practically everybody that was there, when we gave the altar call, would get saved by the thousands. And so we had left there. We were coming home. And when I take a team on a mission trip, I typically try to find a stopover on the way back one night that's pretty nice because most of the time we've been in third world countries and it's been rough and uh, people have sacrificed, so I try to find a good place. So we stopped in Helsinki, Finland for one night, stayed in a nice five-star hotel. Everything was lovely. It was still cold there. The next morning we had a buffet breakfast before we left for the airport. And before I finished eating the sausage at that five-star buffet, I was sick. Before I left the table, by the time I got to the airport, it was a rough journey home. About 15 hours home through layovers and stops. And when I finally got to the Atlanta airport... I wanted to go straight to the hospital, and I don't ever want to go to the hospital. But they told me that there was so much crowding at the airport that I would have a six-hour wait at the emergency room, uh, at the hospital, rather. And uh, so I said, well, just take me on. And we were flying into Birmingham at that time. And when they picked me up, they took me straight to the hospital. Food poisoning. I needed an antidote. Nothing seemed to help. It was a long 24 hours. But an antidote is a remedy to counteract the effects of poison. Look at your neighbor and say, have you been poisoned? Oh, don't look so self-righteous. Don't look so offended. An antidote is something that relieves or prevents. The world needs an antidote. 
The world has been poisoned by sin. It's everywhere. It has infiltrated our culture. We are now living in the day of Isaiah chapter 5, where the Bible says, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. We are living in that day. Christians are now being looked at as the haters for standing on the word of God, for preaching this truth. Is there an antidote? Is there any hope? Is there an answer? Is there something that will relieve or something that will prevent the whole world from going to hell in a handbasket? I would say to you today, there is an antidote. Let's go to 2 Kings, if you have your Bible. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal. Somebody say, he went back. He returned to Gilgal. The word Gilgal means rolling away. And it was when the children of Israel came across the sea and they took stones and they put 12 stones on the banks of Gilgal, and they put 12 stones in the riverbed. And when the waters came back to the riverbed, it was symbolic of baptism. It was symbolic of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ on Calvary. It was a prophecy of time, looking down the tunnel of time, saying that Jesus is going to be crucified, he is going to be buried, and when they came across to the promised land, those 12 stones were piled up in the riverbed, And then the waters came and covered them, symbolizing symbolizing the, the baptism and the death of Jesus Christ. And then they put 12 stones on the riverbank, which symbolized the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they named that place Gilgal, which means rolling away. And it was there that all of their sins were rolled away. And Elisha was returning to Gilgal where the sins had been rolled away. He was there because he was a prophet and he was coming to the school of the prophets to minister to the sons of the prophets, to teach them, to instruct them, and to train them how to be prophets of God. And it was there that when he arrived, there was a famine in the land. Some theologians believe this was the seven-year famine that was read about, that we read about in 2 Kings. So he returns to Gilgal, where there is a rolling away of the sins. He's there to teach and minister to the sons of the prophets. And when he arrives, there is a famine in the land, which indicated there was no food. There was a drought. There was a famine. There was barrenness everywhere. The crops were not growing. The people were hungry. The people were starving. To make this even more interesting, he was leaving Shunammite. He had just left the Shunammite woman and her family where he had raised the son from the dead. And he was there and they were taking care of him. And there was plenty. There was abundance. There was food. There was nourishment. And he left there to come back to minister to the sons of the prophets at Gilgal. And there was a famine. Now, the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. He was teaching them. He was ministering to them. They were attentive to what he had to say because they wanted to learn. They wanted to prophesy. They wanted to be prophetic. They wanted to flow in the gifts of God. And he said to his servant, put on the large pot. Because there was a famine. 
and there was no food. So he had a large pot and he said, put it on and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Now you have to understand, I've done a lot of research and study on this scripture. And they were going to boil the pot with water, but there was no food. So he was prophesying that there was going to be food. He said, put on the pot, the large pot, and boil the stew for the sons of the prophets. There was no stew. The pot was empty. He could have gone in there and looked in it and yelled in it and said, I'm a prophet of God. He probably needed to do that to encourage himself. I am a prophet of God. So he could hear it echoing back to him because there was a famine. There was no food. And there were approximately 100 sons of the prophets that needed to be fed. And there was no food. So he said, take the pot and put it on and begin to boil it. So that's what they do. They put it on and they begin to boil it and they're just stirring water in there and there's no food. But just like when Jesus told the disciples, we're going to feed this multitude of 5,000 plus the women and children, what do we have? Give them food to eat. And they said, there's no food. We're out in the country. We're away from the city. We're away from everything. There's no food. And you know the story. Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they brought a little boy's lunch with a few loaves and a few fish. And he prayed over it, blessed it, and began to break it and multiply it. And they fed the 5,000. And there were 12 baskets left over. Elisha was doing the same thing. He said, put on the pot of stew and begin to boil it. Even though there was nothing there. So put on the large pot and boil the stew for the sons of the prophets. In other words, they are going to eat, even though there was a famine still in the land. So one of the sons of the prophet went out into the field to gather herbs. And he found a vine, and he gathered from it a lapful of wild gourds. And he came and he sliced them into the pot of stew. Though they, did, though they did not know what they were, then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and they said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So you got to get this picture. He sends somebody out and they go out in the field and they come back with all of these items that they have found. And they begin to cut it. Where is my cutting board? I don't need to cut this table. So they take the, the knife and they begin to cut it. Wild gourds. He began to take all of these things. And they started, the Bible says, they sliced it. Can you imagine? They start slicing it. And they're already smelling the stew. It's not even really cooked yet. And they're smelling it. They're expecting it to be good. It's not going to fall. I need a bigger table. Y'all didn't know I was a chef boy RD, did you? <laughs> so they start cutting it. 
And notice, the Bible says they didn't know what they were. You would think they would have some discernment. You would think when they went out into the field and started gathering herbs to eat that they know what they're gathering. Some of them were edible. Some of them looked good to eat. Others were not edible, and they still looked good to eat. They looked a lot like what they had. They looked like, as I did some research, the wild vine, it looked like cucumbers. So they just took them and began to slice them. And the Bible says they sliced them in the pot. That's for the big eaters. They had all kind of vines. Does anybody know what that is? Ginger. Ginger sauce. And they would cut it. And they sliced it. Into the pot. then they started stirring it up they could smell it cooking and they're boiling it and they make this pot of stew so the men can eat so they went out in the field and they gathered this and they found a wild vine wild vine We have a lot of wild choices in life. When we go into the field of the world, there are a lot of wild options. There are a lot of wild choices. And at first glance, they look just like the other vines. They look just like the other choices. And what happened is the wild vines that were poisoned, that were not really edible, got mixed in with what was okay. And you might think, oh no, what are they going to do? What are we going to do? We're living in this world of chaos. And these wild doctrines are creeping into the church. These wild ideas are coming into the church of Jesus Christ. These wild doctrines, these wild philosophies of men have crept into the church. And they seem okay. They don't look much different than anything else. And they get all mixed in until you can't really separate it. How would you go in and start separating? And I mean, I sliced it big, but if it's sliced small and you start trying to separate the poison, separate the wild vines, separate the ones that are inedible, separate the ones that you cannot eat, you're going to have a difficult time doing that. And you would throw out some of the good ones. So it's all mixed in together. And so the prophet of God says, boil the stew, go gather, bring it in. And it happened, then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the pot. One translation says there is poison in the pot and they could not eat it. 
They sliced the poison in the pot and mixed it with the good. And I wonder how many people today in our culture, in our American culture, Barna says there is no difference. He's the expert with all the surveys. He says there is no difference between the people of God and the world. That we've mixed in all the things that the world does. We go to the same places, we watch the same movies, we drink the same things, we smoke the same things, we have the same kinds of relationships. Come on, somebody. And we've mixed it in, and we put it under the umbrella of grace and say, God is so graceful. I just love God. And on Sunday, we shout and we huck and we buck, and the rest of the week, we live just like the world. And we say, but we are under grace. We are in the dispensation of grace. If it feels good, do it. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And it was all mixed in. So Elisha said, Bring me some flour. He could have had discernment in advance and just known when they brought him in that it was poison. And the truth is, he probably did. He probably knew. Because the Holy Spirit in him and the prophetic gift flowing in him, when you flow in the gifts, when you flow in the prophetic, you know more than you say. Because if you, if I came up to you or Apostle Shirley came up to you or Rita came up to you or some of these others in this house that flow in the prophetic. If we came up to you and looked you in your face and said, you are doing this and you are doing that and you need to stop, you would say, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Come on. So when a prophetic word is given to somebody... We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have to deliver it in such a way that it is received rather than it bringing offense and driving people away. So I submit to you that the prophet Elisha probably knew that there was going to be a problem. And he already knew what he was going to do. I'm just glad that when they began to eat it, somebody... And the sons of the prophets had enough discernment to realize there was a problem. Maybe it tasted bad, maybe it didn't. A lot of times we taste things of the world, and the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. So just because it's wild, just because it's wrong, doesn't mean that when you begin to eat it, you're going to know that it's bad for you. A lot of times we just keep on consuming and eating and devouring things that are bad for us, things that are poison for us, things that have been mixed in with righteous things. We just make it a part of our lifestyle. We make it a part of our culture. It has become a part of many churches in America and around the world. It has become socially acceptable to drink. It has become socially acceptable. I heard a preacher today, my God, I heard a preacher today saying that they were going to start growing weed, growing marijuana on their property as a church 
and bring in the preacher, bring in the men that were in that church and let them be entrepreneurs, teach them entrepreneurship because it was legal. They were going to grow cannabis and they were going to teach it and grow it in their church. I heard it today. About a church less than 120 miles from here. So it's become acceptable in the church to drink. It's become acceptable in the church to smoke marijuana. It's become acceptable in the church for people to have affairs with somebody that's not their wife. It's become acceptable in the church to accept homosexual lifestyle. Come on, somebody. And if we say anything about it, then we are the haters. Oh, it's getting quiet up in here now. The prophet knew what he was going to do. When somebody that had discernment and said, there's poison in this pot. There's death in this pot. We are all going to die. What are we going to do? How can we survive this? We may all die. If somebody hadn't had discernment, maybe all of the sons of the prophets would have died. Now, let me just pause and give you a commercial. Some people mix their sin in with their righteous living. And then when they get sick, when the effects of the sin poison them and they start having problems, then they cry out and say, I'm under attack. The devil's attacking me. No, no, no. Devil didn't have to do anything. Devil didn't have anything to do with that. Their lack of discernment gathered the poison and mixed it in. So we always want to blame the devil. I'm under attack. Pray for me. I'm under attack. Well, what have you been doing? What have you brought on yourself? The prophet said, bring me some flour. I dug into that word. It came from a Hebrew word, gima or gima. And it was flour or meal. And I know in our culture, flour and meal is not the same, but the word is interchangeable. And when you read that, read that Hebrew word in the scripture, sometimes it's translated meal, sometimes it was translated flour. Either way, it was used to make bread. And the prophet said, bring me some flour. And we're thinking, what are you going to do with flour? We've got poison in the pot. We've got hungry, 100 hungry men of God that need something to eat. What are you going to do with flour? And he said, bring it to me. And he took it. And he put it in the pot. Now you need to understand. There is no healing attributes in flour or meal. To put it in a poison pot of stew. So what he did was prophetic. What he did was symbolic. Because from flour, from meal, we, we make bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's the bread of life. 
So when Elisha put flour in the pot, he was prophesying. He was looking down the tunnel of time. He was saying the only antidote, the only answer, the only resolve, the only solution for the poison of this world that has gotten mixed into your life, that has infiltrated your culture. The only solution is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And if you will receive the bread of life, you can be healed, you can be resolved, you can be restored, you can have a miracle in your life. We need the bread of life. We need Him in our life. We need Him touching our life. We need Him making a difference in our life. He will purify you. He will sanctify you. He will cure you. He will restore you. He will bring everything you need so that you can walk in your devil-conquering destiny. The world is experiencing chaos. There is a spiritual famine in this world that has been poisoned by wild choices and wild options. Forty years ago, who would have thought that they would serve alcohol at church functions? Who would have thought that a pastor would say, we're going to have an entrepreneurial class and we're going to grow some weed on our property because we have a lot of land here and we're going to sell it to the community. Who would have thought that these poison, ungodly, of the devil options would infiltrate into the church? And the doctrines of the church would become watered down. And the doctrines of the church would become mixed in with the truth. Who would have thought that would have happened in America? Who would have thought that would have happened in Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith churches? Who would have thought that would ever happen here to us? Who would have thought that we would see it with our eyes? But Amos chapter 8 tells us the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east. Searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. We are living in a day where there is an epidemic of false doctrine. There are things being taught in pulpits across this, this country and around the world that are damnable doctrines that will damn souls to hell. And people buy into those and they think that it's okay and they say, oh, we're just living under the dispensation of grace. I can do what I want to. God understands. I've even heard people say, I'm a special case. God understands my sin. No, no, no. 
sin separates you from God. There are dangerous life recipes when you start mixing in wild ideas and wild doctrines and wild things and wild choices and you bring it into your righteousness and it will result in death. Counterfeits look non-poisonous. You can look at it and say, that won't hurt me. I can handle it. That won't bother me. I was serving at a youth, as a youth pastor when I was still in college. And I went to my pastor's house. And when I got there on a particular day, he had the TV on. And he had it on HBO, Hell's Best Offer. And there was nudity... Nudity in the program, nude woman, and the, I looked at the pastor and I thought, this ain't right. And I said, so, I said, what are you watching? You know what his words to me were? I can handle it. It doesn't bother me. He's no longer in ministry, thank God. He lost his ministry because of sin, because of an ungodly relationship. You think you can handle it. You think it doesn't bother you. You think you can take a little here and a little there and you can take it in. But it's wild options, wild church uh, choices that are not godly. And they will mix in with what you think is right. And you will start looking and it becomes, a, it is a counterfeit. And it looks non-poisonous. You think it won't bother me. But sin will bother you. Sin should bother you. Sin should separate you from God because that's what happens. Don't shout me down. There's no neutral position. This is a word for us today. This is a word for the church today. There's no neutral position. You can no longer stay neutral. You can no longer stand on the side and say, well, it doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to say anything. It's affecting us. It's all affecting us. We are, do you want me to tell you the truth? We are living in a day where you cannot be neutral. You cannot just start, start on the, sit on the fence, sit on the sidelines and say, well, it doesn't bother me. It's not affecting me. That's happening over there. That's at another church. No, when there's sin in the church, it affects all of us. When a minister falls, it affects all of us. When people of God fall, it affects all of us. There is no neutral position. We have to choose. He said in Deuteronomy 30, I've set life and death before you, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. So that you and your seed may live. And it doesn't take long for your sin. You say, well, I can handle it. It doesn't take long for it to affect the next generation. I would have never thought I would see generations leave the faith so fast. We let down the standard just a little bit because we decided, oh, it's too legalistic. It's too rigid. It's too tough. So we just let down the standard a little bit. When you open the door, you open the door. Your Bible says, give no place to the devil. Oh, you didn't hear me. Give no place to the devil. If somebody came to break in your house and they came with a gun and they started trying to break down your front door, you would do everything that you can to stop them, to keep them from coming in. 
But we opened the door wide open to the devil and said, come on, sit on my front porch. Come on in the living room. Oh, come on in here in the kitchen where I eat and sit down at the table with me. Come into my bedroom where I'm intimate, intimate and, and, and come on and have, just come into my bedroom. Come into my house. We opened the door. The Bible says, give no place. If you give him an inch, he'll take ten miles. You can't be neutral anymore. I'm sorry. That time has passed. We must take a stand. We have to stand on righteousness. Second Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared. Be ready. In season and out of season. Correct. Let me just pause right there and correct you. If you are living in sin, you are separated from God and you will die and go to hell. Get mad at me if you want to. But you cannot live in sin and go to heaven. The Bible says if we willfully sin, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. So preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Be ready. Live ready. Be righteous. Be ready to pray for somebody at the drop of a hat. You shouldn't have to go pray and fast if you need to pray for somebody. You should be ready to pray. He said, correct, rebuke, and encourage. We need to be encouragers. We need to encourage people. We need to approach them correctly. The approach does make a difference. He said, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. And I could insert there, and now is. For the time will come when people will not endure or put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And those churches are full. Those churches are full. And they have just enough of the truth that people will go and say, Oh, I can feel the Spirit. The, 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 the worship is so good. But they deny the power. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We're there. I hate to break it to you, but we're there. That's where we are in America. And it will get worse. It will get worse. We have to stand on the truth. Mark 16 says it like this. And the people who believe, are there any believers here today? Those who believe, the believers, will be able to do these things as proof they will use my name to force demons out of people. They will speak in languages they never heard, never learned. If they pick up snakes or drink any poison, they will not be hurt. They will lay their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's where we are. The people who believe will be able to do these things as proof. That's where we are, folks. 
That's why we're raising up the school of roar. That's why we're trying to tell you we have to release our roar. That's why we're telling you it is time to take a stand. We must take a stand. There is no neutral position. You cannot sit on the fence anymore. But the truth you know will set you free. There are wild and poisonous choices in our world. We have the antidote. We have it. The bread of life. We need to share the bread of life. We need to release the roar. Would you just begin to talk to him right now? Would you begin to worship him right now? Just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Tune up. Tune in. Let your spiritual antennas sense what's going on. Let it sense right now the poison that's in the world. Sense the bread of life is here with us, helping us. Leading us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we need you. If we've ever needed you, we need you now. If we've ever needed boldness and strength to stand up and be a voice in a lost and dying world, the time is now. If we've ever needed to be a lighthouse, the time is now. If we've ever been needing to be the salt of the earth, the time is now. Father, in Jesus' name, anoint us with your word. Anoint us as your voice. Anoint us to stand. Anoint us to no longer be neutral or sit on the fence. Anoint us not to tolerate sin in our life, in our family, in our church, in our ministry, in our business. Anoint us, O oh Father, to walk in righteousness, to live holy, to live righteous, to live pure, and to eat the bread of life. Help us, O oh God, not to mix poison in with what we consume and think it won't make us sick even to the point of death. I sense the Holy Spirit saying that we are at a strategic moment in history. We are in a strategic time. And we have to choose. We have to decide. He's raising up the remnant. You've heard us say that and preach that for months. But that's where we are. And if you're here, or if you're watching us online or on TV, there is a strong, strong indication that the Lord is calling you and raising you as a remnant warrior in these last days. But here's the good news. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is yours. And just like Elisha knew what he was going to do and he said, bring me flour. The flour in and of itself would not 
cure the poison in the pot. It would not neutralize it. It would not heal it. But notice when he brought it and put it in, he said, now serve it to them. And they all had to eat it because they had been poisoned. Don't miss this. And if they refused to eat it because they had already started eating or they knew that it was poison, they had already begun sick, begun to get sick. If they refused to eat it, they refused the antidote that he was providing. He said, put the flour in. He put the flour in. And the Bible says, and they begin to eat. And it was okay. Because the bread of life is the answer. The bread of life is your answer. Just slip your hand to him right now. Would you make this declaration with me right now? Just say, Jesus, 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 I recognize you as the bread of life. I repent of every sin. I repent of every sin. And from this moment forward, and from this moment forward I'm going forward. I'm going forward. I will not look back. I will not look back. I'm ready to eat the bread of life. I'm ready to eat the bread and of to life. receive it into my life. And to receive it into my life. Into my spiritual man. Into my spiritual man. So that I can be healed. So that I can be healed. So that you will use me. So that you will use me. To drive out demons in your name. To drive out demons in your name. You will use me. You will use me. To lay hands on the sick. To lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. And they will recover. You will use me. You will use me. To make a difference. To make a difference. In a lost and dying world. In a lost and dying world. Because of your word. Because of your word. That I have received. That I have received. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am serving you. I am serving you. I will follow you all the days of my life. From this day forward, I will not be neutral. I will stand. I will speak up. I will go forward as your servant. I am surrendered. I am following you. I believe your word. And I am anointed. For such a time as this. Because the Spirit of the Lord God is on me. And you have anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And to set the captives free. Today, I receive that mantle. Today, I receive the antidote. Today, point me in any direction. That you want me to go. And Father God, I will go. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now lift up both hands and praise Him. Lift up both hands and worship Him. Father, we worship You. We adore You. We praise You. We thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your anointing. Thank You for what You are doing here. Thank You for the call. Thank You for directing our steps. Thank you for shaping us in the name of Jesus. No more poison. We receive discernment. We receive the bread of life. We receive what you have for us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah.